You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we interview actors, writers, directors, filmmakers, managers, agents, producers, anybody at all involved with the entertainment industry. And we put those interviews into this podcast and then stick it out there on the world wide web for you. World <laughs> wide web. I wasn't sure I was going to end that sentence. <laughs> we never <laughs> do. just kept going. You ever notice we get right to that point and we go, I'm going to make up something new. Yeah. It's going to be fresh yeah. and hip and cool for this episode and of course we are just two dudes with a podcast as evidenced by our ramblings um so we don't pretend to know everything and in fact we started this podcast because we're looking for the answers not because we have them so if you have any disagreements agreements comments questions anything you'd like to uh add to the podcast uh your content is our content. Our content is your content. So like uh, go ahead and uh, you know uh, get in touch with us, and you can find all of the different ways to do that at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on today's episode, we have part one of a three-part interview with Woody Schultz, who is an actor, has worked a lot in production, so he's got a very extensive knowledge of what happens on film sets. He's on the SAG board, and he is also a prolific motion capture actor so for those of you who have been asking for motion capture actors on the podcast we finally got one so this is some really good stuff and it's it's so good in fact that we couldn't condense it into two interviews it had to be three so the first part uh doesn't really talk about motion capture very much but um we'll get there but the first part is really good stuff anyway so make sure you guys stick around for that Yo, 82. There's no significance to 82. There's not. I was I even tried. thinking when I was making the artwork earlier today, I was like, this number just looks uh, just kind of bland. I mean, not that the episode is going to be bland, but it just didn't look like it had any, you know, oomph behind it. It's just a 82. It's like, what is that number? What is it? It's a infinity it's- on its side and a two. Very, very 82 actors. One, two, one, three, okay. eighty-two actors. All right. Anyway, Which, before we lose any more listeners, we're yeah, <laughs> we're trying way too hard. Um, so hi, Trev. Hey, dude. What's up? What's new in your world? This I like having the consistent release schedule. It also limits the amount of crazy catch-up that we have to do. I noticed. Yeah, we yeah. like epic amount of time goes by and we're like well i was in san francisco and then i went to australia and i jumped into a volcano and you're like what <clears throat> jumped so into it's a like, volcano that was the most epic thing i could think of so <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> moving on we sort of know what the other one has been doing but yeah, our listeners don't yeah. know i guess yeah um but the only thing i have going on and i we were just talking about this before we started recording is i have a um my very first voiceover audition tomorrow like um, an official a meeting we should say an no, official, official meeting, meeting that you meeting that, but you're actually and this director. is kind of kind of rare not terribly rare but kind of rare in the uh, voiceover world is you're actually going to the office yeah yeah i'm not rec- i'm not self-recording um yeah. going into um 
the office. It's uh, Terry Berlin casting, though everything's very hush hush about it. Um, it's uh, I think I'm gonna, or I know I'm gonna be signing an NDA when I get there. But um, I just uh, I, I love how it went down because I don't yet have all of my stuff up on the various voiceover websites, and I don't yet have a voiceover agent. <clears throat> the reason that this happened is because my manager took the uh, commercial demo I had made uh, for my voiceover stuff and then sent it to this casting director for basically, like, advice. Like, what do you think? How does it sound? Do you have any, you know, thing you'd change or whatever? And she sent me back notes or sent back notes to to my manager. Um, But in that demo reel, I have, like, the perfect spot for this particular audition so she remembered that she's friends with my manager and she called her up and, and, and I, I got called in for the audition. So that's awesome. It was just one of those, you know, Hollywood stories where like everything lines up and, you know, yeah. um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I have no, I, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to be like, um, being that it's my first, you know, voiceover audition ever. You really? should just walk in and be like, you may have heard my voice on the Apple.com website <laughs> four different times, but you know, details. Whatevs. I'm not, I'm not really that big a deal, except I am the voice of the largest technology company on the planet. But anyway, what, what's this for again? <laughs> what's this for again? Oh, cars. How quaint. Right. Uh, <laughs> iPhone, maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> I hope, I hope our sarcasm comes through in our so voices too. because... Yeah. I don't want our listeners literally walking into meetings doing crappy things <laughs> like this. I know, really. This is what they do in LA, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, this is how they do it. This is how they do it. People, yeah, people in Florida, in New York, and they're like, yeah. no, no, that's not how you do it. No, <laughs> get out of my room. Uh, what's going on with you, bud? Uh, I, I, this was actually last week's news. I just forgot to say it. Um, but my short film, Donor, was accepted into another festival. Oh, that's right. So, boom. You told me, but we, we didn't end up talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, I yeah. just completely forgot. I was in, in my TT world in my head. But um, I, I'm stoked, man. It's the Philly First Glance Film Festival. Uh, so it's in my Ooh. hometown of Philadelphia. So yeah. I'm not going to be able to fly back to, to see it and be there. But um, I have a lot of friends that I hope will go check it out. Yeah. And for all of you Philly actors who might be listening to this, um, feel free to stop by. We'll put the link on the website and uh, you know go by and show some love for my very first uh, short script. When you were... Uh, well, first of all, congratulations. That's Thanks. awesome. Thanks. When you were... Um, submitting it to festivals did you or your producers consciously be like oh philadelphia trevor has a link back to philadelphia let's submit or was it just a blanket like we're submitting it to every i mean do you essentially do you know how it got accepted to this particular festival i don't uh i know that mark uh the director mark gant from episodes 20 or 30 something (laughs) and uh and carolina who's a friend of ours and a friend of the podcast uh, they they kind of discussed it. Carolina uh, executive produced the whole thing, the whole film. I just kind of like pitched him where I could. And Mark, uh, I just gave him kind of free reign over the uh, artistic stuff, you know, the direction and all that stuff. So they, they hashed it out. So I'm not sure if they had a plan um, with that or not. But um, this was a hand-picked festival of about a dozen that we submitted to. Mm. So um, I don't know if they thought, yeah, Trevor's from Philly. That'll, that'll work out nicely or not, but... Well, it's actually really smart, and I, I you know, uh, something for people to think about when they're out there making their own their own product, shipping, as we called it a couple episodes back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really smart to have a sort of 
hometown connection if you're not from Los Angeles to submit it to any local film festivals from where you're from because um, there's a there's a novelty aspect to it and there's also you know uh, the you know hometown hero quote unquote mm. making good on his promise to like you know kick some butt in in Hollywood I wonder you if the, I, mean? I wonder if the festival <clears throat> people care about that or not or if they even notice that kind of stuff if you include so. a note with your submission and say hey by the way I grew up here I would, I mean, maybe it I would, would help sway the decision. Yeah, I would bit. think I so. I would think so. Or, you know, somehow, you know, I'm a graduate of these schools, you know, cause you graduated from all schools in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I would think so. I would think it would have some kind of, um, interesting appeal, hmm. um, that, uh, you know, uh, a festival might be interested in, you know, yeah, especially if yeah. it does well or when it does well, you know, at the festival and then it's like, oh yeah, this person, you know, went to this school and this school and they're, they're a Philly native and. Yeah. Yay, Philadelphia. You yeah. Know, or yeah. yay, Saratoga. Or yay, you know, whatever, whatever it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. So we also, we have a voicemail from uh, a listener, Sarah, who whom you have met. Uh, uh, yeah. And you actually, had a great conversation with her. And I yeah. haven't actually had a chance to connect with her in person yet, but we've exchanged a few emails. And, yeah, we've been emailing back and forth um, and stuff. Yeah, and she, she said she just listened to, uh, well, I'll let the voicemail say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Trevor and AJ, this is Sarah Beth Goer, and I was just listening to episode 79, and you guys were musing about when an actor is in the beginning stages of their career and they're working for free, how can they still respect themselves and maintain um, their own power and integrity? And I wanted to throw in my two cents, which is I think that it can come from being conscious of our own choices. Like, for example, for me, if I'm working for free, being conscious of, I am choosing to work for free right now because I want to gain skill and experience. So I'm offering my services in exchange I'm learning. Mm, and reframing. someday it will be, really it smart, will no longer actually. be time to yeah. do that. And while it is time to do that, I'm going to be respectful of other people and I deserve to be respected in return. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's what helps me being really clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing and that I am choosing it and I have a choice. Um, and I hope that helps other listeners. That's why I'm calling in. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Actually really, really smart. I mean, Sarah's very smart. I was going to say earlier when you were saying that I, I, I've met her in person, I did, uh, I, I, you know, met her at Starbucks. We had coffee together and she's very, very smart. Um, and it's always nice to see in, in, in an actor because, um, you know, well, first of all, we get a bad reputation and <clears throat> second of all, um, you know, it's not the easiest, you know, business. It's in fact the hardest business. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's, it's good to have a good head about you mm-hmm. when, when going about this and she really does. Yeah. So, well, there are two things that really stuck out to me about that voice. Now, number one was the reframing thing. I mean, you can take any situation and look at it as glass half empty, glass half full. Um, and that is, I think, so essential just for how you approach your life. You know, you can reframe anything, you know, like that's, yeah, I think we did, uh, some of that in, uh, we learned a lot about that in, uh, MITT basic, you know, it was, there was an exercise we did where we started to really make the distinction between I have to do something and I get to do something. Mm-hmm. And we kind of went deep into that and it was like, oh, actually this is really, really great. This is a real blessing in my life. This mm-hmm. thing that I just five minutes ago had to do, it was like, oh, it was a big thorn in my side. So, so that's awesome. And number two, she said, um, that she's choosing to do this. Mm -hmm. And I, I really 
love that she made the distinction consciously or not between choosing to do something and deciding to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them is, is literally to cut off from possibility, you know, to kill off the alternatives. So you're left with only one path or one, one Mm. option. And the other one implies that you have an abundance of choices and you get to pick which one you want the best. And it's, it's, it's a subtle thing, but you know, when she said that word choose, I was like, yeah, she's choosing to do this. She has complete power over this situation, over her career, over her life, over, over everything. And that, totally. I mean, it's a subtle thing and maybe I'm a little in my head about it today or something, but I thought that was, um, you know, it stuck out to me. No, not at all. Transformation is in the language. Something that, you know, they talk about in, in LP transformation is in the language. So, um, just like the difference between have to and get to, <clears throat> there's also, um, you know, that moment to moment, we are a choice. It is a, you know, everything that we do is a, is a choice. So overall, her voicemail is talking about coming into recognition of the fact that you are choosing to be there and therefore, you know, hopefully that what that does is it curtails any conversations of like, uh, I'm working for free right now. And you know, <clears throat> yeah. hey, isn't this awful? And I can't wait till I'm not at this point in my career mm-hmm. anymore and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Subtle distinction, but there's a difference between kind of slogging through student films, paying your dues, that kind of thing. And looking at it as like, this is so great. I get to exchange my work for experience and build these relationships with these people, you know, cause you don't, who knows where they're, where any of those people are going to be, including yourself in five mm-hmm. years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never, <laughs> you never know. You, you really don't know. Like a year later they could be, you know, like, I mean, I'm thinking of a friend in particular who, uh, went off to be um, Robert, Robert Rodriguez's personal assistant like three months after I worked with her. And she worked with him for like two years. Oh, and yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, I, I didn't like try and like finagle a meeting or anything out of that. But I mean, that's just that just goes to show that everybody's rubbing elbows with everybody in this business. Uh-huh. You never, you never know. So yeah. just be kind, work hard and be honest and, and good things will come. Remember when the podcast just ended right there and we never did another (laughs) piece of content because of how awesome that was? Boom. Thank you for that, Trevor. I guess that's it. Yeah, awesome. We should just roll into this interview. So um, once again, this is uh, uh, our first part of a three-part interview with uh, actor, mocap specialist. Mocap stunt actor yeah he's got guy. so many hats and i actually Saga. i probably shouldn't do what i'm doing right now because i do this again in the interview <laughs> where do i, right don't, the very I don't know how to describe him and then i go woody I'm like yeah. i just like woody schultz everyone like yeah. just ridiculous so anyway enjoy me floundering a second time and the subsequent in- interview to follow Hey guys, so we are sitting here with someone we're very excited to be interviewing today, who is has a very storied, interesting career, uh, going from motion capture to uh, television screen, and he's also on the Los Angeles board of uh, uh, at SAG-AFTRA. Uh, Why don't you say it, and then I'll introduce you. I did. Uh, I was one of the founders of uh, the National Performance Capture Committee, and I'm the national chair of that. And I also serve on the uh, the Los Angeles local 
SAG after a board of directors. Woody, everybody. I'm Woody Condor. <laughs> like, I'm going to let him do his own bio. And then, like, oh, that's so interesting. Why, do, why are you here again? Why are we having you on this podcast? No, thank you so much for coming in. My really pleasure. appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm really a huge appreciate fan. it. Yeah, we're super excited to have you because it's this is a really um, we think you're we hope <laughs> you're going to bring a really unique perspective because you've worked in so many kind of facets of the industry. Um, I think we're definitely interested in hearing about um, you know your views on the unions mm-hmm. uh, as well as the motion capture stuff. We've had people asking us to get motion capture actors on the podcast for years, so um, we're really excited to, to chat about that too. Of course, great, but everything. But before we get into all of that, yes. um, we like to start kind of um, at the beginning. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got <clears throat> from from birth through to this ridiculous, crazy person's industry. You have 30 seconds. <laughs> well, uh, I-, I was born a poor black child with no rhythm. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, that's a different story. Uh, I, well, you know, from uh, Baltimore, born in Baltimore, uh, raised in a little town called Severn in, uh, in Maryland, and uh, did my first play when I was four, kind of got bitten very early by the acting bug, uh, and continued to do it through elementary school and, and high school, uh, and uh, never really thought that I would do it professionally, because I think I just assumed that coming from a small town, uh, that people who did it for a living that I saw on TV and in the movies were sort of born there. They either were born outside of a theater in New York or, you know, born in Los Angeles and somehow that's where they all come from. And uh, then I, you know, kind of realized when, uh, when I started studying in, uh, in college that a lot of my friends were already making their plans to, to move to one coast or the other. Uh, and, uh, and I decided that I would give it a shot. And so I, uh, you know, I, I dropped out of uh, college uh, don't do drugs, stay in school. Uh, I dropped out of college. <laughs> what were you studying? Uh, it's a double major, theater and mass comm, uh, neither of which would have done me a damn bit of good anywhere. Uh, just ask my mom. A, for- <laughs> a fortune pissed away is what she likes to call that. Uh, <laughs> you paid her back ten times. For- hey, mom, be quiet. Here, yes, here's my money. In hugs. Uh, <laughs> oh, in hugs only. In, in hugs only, yes. No, so uh, you know, it really the catalyst for me, you know, sort of dropping out and, and, and moving out here was that I kept asking my theater teachers, my professors, uh, you know, so practically, what's the next step, and and how do I use what I'm learning here practically if I want to, you know, make it as an actor in New York, or if I want to be on TV, or if I want to be in the films, and I couldn't really get an answer uh, that satisfied me. And I realized that although they were brilliant actors and fantastic teachers and coaches, uh, and I was learning a lot practically from what I was, what I was doing, you know, the voice work and the movement work and, and stagecraft and things like that, that it really wasn't setting me up to apply these skills in the real world. I wasn't learning the business of acting. I wasn't learning uh, anything about, it was sort of, you know, pre all the social media stuff. So there really wasn't anything being taught about self-promotion or branding uh, or how to put yourself out there, how to sell yourself, 
uh, as as a product, even <laughs> which we all are, even though we you know all hate the idea of that, and wasn't really even learning anything as basic as how to get an agent or how to audition. Uh, mm. So. I decided that the money that I was spending on college, if I just picked up and, and went to either New York or, or L.A., I could take that money and, you know, earn a living, you know, pay for an apartment, and just pay for acting classes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I decided to do. And I, I, I decided it would, if I was going to be, you know, a homeless, unemployed actor, I would rather be on a beach in LA <laughs> then on the cold Santa Monica Pier yeah exactly hmm. Hmm. original idea uh, then New York so uh, so I, I moved out here I drove cross country packed everything I, I could in my Jeep and uh, and drove cross country and, and had a blast doing it and uh, you know we stayed out here for about a year couldn't find my groove didn't really like the people that that I was that I was meeting and, and couldn't get my foot in the door anywhere uh, so I kind of swallowed my pride and went home for a couple of years, regrouped, started waiting tables, uh, you know, doing double shifts, making as much money as I possibly could, stashing it all away, and trying to refigure my attack. And what I decided to do was get a job as a production assistant on a film that was shooting locally in Baltimore, thinking, well, maybe what I need to do is just figure out how things really work on a film set and what everybody's job is and what they do and and if I'm lucky enough be able to watch the actors on set and see how they handle themselves and and uh, and learn from that and that maybe give myself an education so I'll feel more prepared for going back out there because I wasn't giving up on the dream I still desperately wanted to do this uh, and and that's what I did and I, I got a job um, on uh, on a film called Boys <laughs> that nobody's ever seen <laughs> and rightly so <laughs> but it was a but it was a, a fantastic job and uh, it, it was a great film as far as watching meeting actors and watching them work which I was lucky enough to do I, I started in the production office and the ads were kind enough to when we started principal photography to take me on set with them as as a set PA and uh, and they would put me in charge of of background and of getting the actors through hair and makeup so I was uh, you know I was down at the trailers and and listening to all the gossip and and chatting up all of the actors and and hearing them talk between takes and and hearing them prep for scenes, and it was it was a really great education. And it was people like Lucas Haas and Winona Ryder, and James Legros, and John C. Riley, and Chris Cooper, and Tess Harper, and Catherine Keener. I mean, this film—it was unbelievable. The pedigree of indie actors, you know, gods that I would later look up to—that I really that all were at the beginning of their careers. And it, so it was, it was a great learning experience, and I, I did a, a you know a couple other films back in Baltimore, and uh, and then got lucky enough to uh, start working uh, in a production office of Home for the Holidays, the film that Jodie Foster directed. Uh, another one that unbelievable cast, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know she she was one of these amazing leaders who took everybody under her wing treated everybody as an equal. It didn't matter whether you were, you know, a transpo, a caterer, 
uh, a PA or the DP, you know, everybody sort of their opinion held equal sway. And she was willing to listen to everybody. And, and it, you know, one of the people on the, on that show told me, don't get used to this. This is like once every five or six years, you, you get one of those shows that everybody just get along, gets along, loves everybody is treated with respect, uh, from the top down and, uh, cherish it. And it was, it was really true. Uh, but you know, they, they shot for three months in Baltimore and then they moved, uh, to finish shooting on stage in LA. And I asked if I could, uh, keep my job if I followed them out to LA. And they said, absolutely. So I, again, packed up my Jeep and, and, uh, you know, in three days made it cross country. Wow. So I could, so I could, uh, you know, continue working that Monday morning. Uh, and, uh, and I did, and, and, and I ended up working in production for about 10 years after that. Uh, it was just a, you know, word of mouth situation. Yeah. That, that seems to be how most people, sorry, I got to scoot in front of the mic here. That seems to be how most people get gigs. I mean, the more I'm out here, the more I'm realizing that everybody kind of hires their friends or people they've worked with before. And and on your IMDb page, you've got a nice long list of, of, uh, production credits. Yeah. And if, and if you look at, uh, and if you sort of follow, uh, you know the the thread behind the scenes. You know you, you can find similar crew members or cast members. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know almost throughout the entire uh, list of, of credits there, and and it's for that very reason. Um, you know I when I was uh, when I was finishing up on uh, Home for the Holidays, uh, I had become close with uh, with Anne Bancroft. Not to drop names, but <laughs> you know I mean I, I worshipped her. And, uh, and for some reason she took a shine to me, uh, and on her last day of shooting and, and here in LA, uh, she called me over and asked what I was doing next. And I, I said, I don't know, I, I'm still sleeping <laughs> on, uh, on the production coordinator sofa. I, I haven't even found a place of my own yet. Um, I, I don't know anybody in this town really. Uh, I, I said, I, I've sent some resumes out, but everybody seems to be crewed up and, uh, I, I said I, I even sent a resume to your husband's uh, film, but you know they're they're getting ready to start, so I, I wasn't expecting to get called in for that. And she said, oh, "Well, you know what? Let me let me just talk to him." And uh, I said, oh, "You're kind of sure?" I thought she was just being nice, and I you know, didn't think anything of it. And two days later, I get a call on the walkie that I have a phone call in the office. I run in, and it's Mel Brooks's personal secretary. And uh, she says, uh, Mr. Brooks would like to meet with you Thursday uh, at three if you're available. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. Let me check my... Well, okay, sure. Because <laughs> you never get that phone call twice in your life. And uh, I said, you know, I said, absolutely. And then hung up the phone and said, can I actually leave set to do this? And and, uh, and I did. And I went in and, and sat in his office and, and out walks Mel Brooks and the executive producer of his next film and I, I, I stand up I'm in awe and uh, you know he's he's just come stumbling out his clothes are all wrinkled and his hair standing up on end like he just came out of a nap which I'm sure he did uh, and he looks at me and he's, he's like oh god th- sit down sit down god you're too goddamn tall <laughs> like, off to a good start I love it and, uh, and I go into his office and, and he says so I hear you're looking for a job Said absolutely. I mean, I I would I do anything. And he's like, well, we don't need anybody. I was like, 
Okay. Well, it, I, I honestly, it was just a, an honor to meet you. I, I've you know been a huge fan of yours. You're one of my all time. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't need you, but you know my wife loves you. I don't know why. It's like so you got a job. It's like that's awesome. He's like I don't know what it'll be. You look big and strong. Maybe I'll have you carry something. <laughs> okay. He's like oh, and by the way, if if you're not busy on Friday. Come, we're having a big production meeting. It's the first one of the film. You'll learn something. It'll be exciting. Oh, and I fire somebody the first day. <laughs> okay. He's like, could be you. <laughs> All right. I, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, and so, you know, so began my sort of production career in L.A. And it was, that was for uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It with uh, Leslie Nielsen and Peter McNichol and Amy Asbeck and Stephen Weber. I mean, it was this, you know, another great production. And, uh, you know, and every day he would, he would call me over at some point during the day and give me a big hug. And he'd say, so, so what did you learn today? And then wow. everybody treating you good. <laughs> like, wow. Wow. You know, like, you know, it was one of these great things. And, and again, at the end of the film, he said, so, so what are you doing next? I want to make sure you're taken care of. And uh, I said, you know, I don't, I don't know. And Mars Attacks was getting ready to start. Yes, I'm that old. And uh, <laughs> I remember that movie. <laughs> sort of. But uh. you weren't old enough to work on it. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, you know, he's like, "Well, I don't, I don't know that little is it Timmy Burton?" And I'm like, yes, I believe Timmy Burton is <laughs> is the little director for that one. And uh, he's like, "But, but you know, have him have him call me. I'll put in a good word for you." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." I'm not going to actually tell someone to call Mel Brooks for for you know a recommendation, but uh, but it, you know, but it was a great start. And and the ads on that film actually took me on to their next film. And it just sort of snowballed from there. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, I found myself with, you know, enough days to join the DGA and having to kind of really make a decision if I was going to plunk down, you know, that big chunk of change and join the DGA and kind of go in that direction or stop and regroup and do what I came out here to do in the first place, which was acting and writing. And uh, it was it was really it was like the hardest decision I think I I had ever had to make at least professionally and uh, and I decided to go back to acting so I I quit production cold turkey and made a deal with myself that if I if I could earn a living just from acting for a for the first year after I quit production that that was my sign that I would keep moving forward with it I would keep doing it and. Uh, you know, between doing some uh, some background work, some stand-in stuff, uh, and actually getting a couple of roles that first year, uh, I I somehow eked through. You know, with a lot of cereal and baked potatoes, and <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. it, I, I eked through that first year and have been really fortunate. It's it's been almost ten years now, and I have only ever earned you know my living as an actor wow i I haven't i haven't had a straight job you know so to speak in 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 10 years wow it's been pretty amazing well what a what a great start i mean to to have that that kind of education on sets for 10 years and to have people it sounds like people just left and right were kind of taking you under their (laughs) wing and saying like let me show you the ropes kid you know like yeah well you know i mean never underestimate you know a a good sexual favor (laughs) uh so 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So, so you've been working then as an actor for the last, the last 10 years, um, moving from production into acting and then actually being able to sustain yourself. I mean, that's, that's kind of like everybody's dream is to be able yeah. to sustain themselves as an actor. So how much did this production stuff prepare you for, uh, for the acting world, if at all? Or was it like just conquering a brand new, you know, realm? Well, I, I mean, it was definitely, you know, conquering a new realm, but, uh, but I, to this day, I still rely on stuff that I, that I learned, uh, working as a production assistant or as an AD, um, or production coordinator. I mean, I learned about, you know, when I was working in the office, uh, you know, I learned about contracts, uh, and, and deal memos and, uh, you know, I would, I would set up the dailies. So I learned how they went, uh, you know, people, you know, Jody Foster, uh, let me sit in on the dailies every single day, uh, with her and, and the cast and, and, uh, and the DP and stuff and, and the editors. And I, I learned that language and I learned, I was able to watch, uh, you know, 15 different takes of, of the same scene of the same setup and and listen to her and have her explain why she chose to print you know a particular take over another one um you know and to watch somebody like Anne Bancroft or or Charles Durning or Robert Downey Jr or Holly Hunter you know how even even the most subtle nuanced change you know but th- but they would make these slight changes from take to take to take to make each one fresh and different not just for themselves but for the other actors and for the director as well and so to sit back and watch and and, and learn that to learn something as basic as how to hit your mark how to count back from a mark when you're on set um how to stop a car on a sandbag <laughs> and you know you not have it look like you're hitting the front of a building uh you know any, just any kind of little thing like that uh, and just general respect for for the crew members and what they do. I, I'm one of those sort of trouble-free actors now on set because I spent so many hours chasing after actors who would just disappear out of the director's chair, out of their cast chair, and just wander off, whether it was to their trailer or a craft service or to have a smoke or, you know, and not tell anybody. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always there early on set, uh, I rarely ever leave set because I just see it as this continuing education. You watch everybody do everything, and you just you know you just constantly learn. Plus, it's still fun for me. I mean, it's still magic. You're making a really good case to drop out of school and go be a PA. Absolutely. I mean, is that Absolutely. something that you would actually? Well, I mean, I'm being totally serious. Would you actually recommend that to people? Because it sounds like what you got was a master class in how this industry works, and you got paid to do it. Well, Whereas most people do it the opposite way, and they don't get half the education that you got. Well, I mean, I think you have to listen to your gut. I mean, obviously, if you are being incredibly fulfilled and you're learning something, truly learning something, uh, you know, in college, then stick with it. Absolutely. I mean, there are there are times when when I do have regrets about you know not finishing college or maybe not having the the freedom to explore with as many different types of of classes as i could because you know once you're out of that you know university atmosphere you no longer have the freedom to say you know well this semester i'll you know i'll study kabuki and this semester i'll do movement and this semester you know because you know in the real world 
if you can find those classes and find those teachers, you know, you're dumping a huge chunk of change and, you know, it, you're, you know, you're to stick with it, you know, with any kind of regularity. I mean, you don't have, you're not doing something, you know, two or three days a week. You know, you're doing it for a couple hours once a week, you know, maybe for a month or two for some of these specialty classes. So there's, you know, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons, but, you know, for me, I knew that I wasn't getting out of it what I wanted. And I think it's changed in a lot of the, the university systems now where I think they are teaching more practical courses, where you are learning about the business, you are learning about auditioning, you are learning about how to get an agent, uh, how to market yourself. Uh, I, I think those, I think just this whole social media explosion has sort of necessitated, necessitated that happening in the university system as well. Uh, but certainly I'm not telling anybody who's, you know, in the Yale School of Drama that you'll get a much better <laughs> education if you are a PA. How's that, how's that $40,000 a year feel <laughs> down the drain, huh? Exactly. Uh, that's very, very cool. We've had a lot of people on this podcast um, explicitly say, if you are young and pretty and you want to come out and be an actor, don't go to school. Like, come out and be an actor as soon as possible because youth is such an asset. Um, it is. And it, I do have regrets about not coming out earlier. I was gonna. That was gonna be my next question. That, is what that's the, on, the only thing that I would have changed is uh, perhaps instead of just dropping out of school, I would have left straight from high school hmm. and really taken advantage of you know youth and and you know the eighteen to look younger sort of world uh, of, of acting or the you know the the twenty one to look older and or to, to look younger and uh, I mean because when I first came out here. You know, I was at the time 20, I guess 23, 24, uh, and I I could get nothing but uh, high school stuff. And uh, I I still get, don't get, I don't get submitted for anything that's my age to this day. You know, had I known what an advantage it would have been, I I certainly would have come out here, Mm -hmm. you know, earlier. I mean, you know, at 24, I think my first... My first gig ever was on the pilot of my so-called life. <laughs> I love that show. As uh, you know, as as a background actor, cool. uh, and that was you know that's actually how I got into uh, to SAG-AFTRA. Was I I was uh, I was working on a, a TV show called Against the Grain, Ben Affleck. Before anybody knew who Ben Affleck was, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it was actually a really great little uh, you know high school football drama uh, for NBC. I, I did the pilot, and on the pilot, I was just another kid in the hallway in high school, uh, and one of the football players on the team got sick. The director, Steve Miner, fantastic pilot director, uh, said, "Just find the biggest guy in the hallway." See if he can play football. <laughs> and so the ADs came down and, and picked me out of the crowd and uh, uh, said, can you play football? And I, I absolutely said, yes. And, w- and I can ride a horse and <laughs> I, can I can roller, roller skate. skate. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I know karate. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and I speak six languages. Mm-hmm. And, and I can drive a manual transmission. I, I can, yeah. in fact. Which I, I could. But only tomorrow. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, uh, I need those and Stones so, he, so he he pulled me out and he made me one of the uh, the football players on the team, and that gave me a, a, a SAG background voucher. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. 
two more and I'm in the union. This is awesome. And, uh, and I, I, I showed up the next day and I was like, voucher number two, this is the way it works. I love it. And, uh, the same director, he said, so, um, you know, I, I kind of want the lead in here to, to kind of have, you know, this little group, this little tight group of friends. And, you know, he's got his best friend here. And he's like, I, I need a third. Um, and he, he pulled me over. He goes, uh, so do you, uh, you ever work out? Do you like lift weights and stuff? Are you comfortable in a weight room? Of course I am. And uh, he, he, uh, he said, so, okay, so you're, you're Bobby's friend now. Okay, I don't know what that means, but okay. So from that point on, everywhere Bobby went, it was this other principal actor and myself as a background actor. And we shot a scene where uh, we were driving to school. I was in the back of his pickup truck, and his rival on the football team comes over. They get into a huge fight. Teacher rushes over, and they get in trouble. And the whole time, I'm sitting back in the back of the pickup truck thinking, this is really awkward. If I was truly his best friend and I saw the teacher running over and knew that he could get kicked off the football team, I would at least say, you know, dude, teacher's coming, something, stop, whatever. And uh, so I mentioned this to the AD and he said, yes, no, that's absolutely, don't you dare say a fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I said, okay, that's okay. Um and uh, I, so we, play, we played it again, and it was still a little weird. And uh, and I, I mentioned something to uh, to the actor. I, I you know I said this is kind of weird, isn't it? And he said, Yeah, that is a little weird. And he said something to the director, and the director came over and he said, So uh, yeah, I think it's a little weird because uh, it's his idea now. <laughs> I, I think it's a little weird that uh, that you'll just be sitting there and, and watching this all go down and and, and just not say anything right like yeah that's a yeah that's true i never thought about that (laughs) but that's true so uh, (laughs) he uh he said so just uh just yell out whatever you would yell out in a a situation like this i said okay i can do that and i looked over and the ad was staring daggers at me because this meant now that i had to be taft hartley oh right learned this whole other language i didn't know what that was and why it was such a pain in the ass for them and why it was such a no-no for who's looking at you like paperwork up yeah (laughs) and uh and also knowing that you know from that point on i would have to be on a principal contract Mm -hmm. for the rest of the pilot and uh so i i did it and it was great and i got taft hartley and at the end of the pilot, I joined up. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back. Hope you dug part one of our three-part chat with Woody Schultz. Just um, a fantastic guy, man. Just so knowledgeable and experienced and humble and, and cool and... I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about him. And I thought his story was re- was just really kind of inspiring because this was a guy who was like, I know what I want and I'm going to try something and it didn't work. So I'm going to try another path. And then he eventually ended up in production. And then, you know, he, he he's like a, he's like a self-made actor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all actors technically are, but it's not like he was waiting around for auditions or to get a break or anything. It's like he was out there like, what's the best way for me to learn about 
this industry, what I want to do. And he just made it happen for himself and he was in it for the long haul. And, uh, I just thought, I thought it was, you know, this first part was great and I'm, I can't wait to share parts two and three with the world. Yeah. 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 And, and what I loved about him, uh, is his willingness to share it all. Mm -hmm. He doesn't hold back anything, any information that he has that he thinks would be, um, you know, uh, helpful or supportive of, of actors. He's totally willing to just give it away. Yeah. Like what questions do you have? What more do you want to know? I mean, we talked, we, I don't, I almost don't want to say this cause I don't want our listeners to be like, Oh, you guys are jerks. But we talked for like another 40 minutes after we stopped rolling at least. And that was interesting too. But I mean, the same thing happened with, with Emily Rose, who was our other yeah. three part interview, uh, motion cap. Yeah. That's the new tradition. If you're motion capture, uh, artist, we have to split your interview up into three parts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he's just very willing, and and I just so appreciate that from anybody who's um, you know on, on top of their game the way that he is. Yeah, so. for sure. Let <clears throat> me let me bust out my pick of the week first because I I know we're going to talk about yours quite a bit. So so mine's nice and simple uh, in a nice contrast to yours. Uh, those of you who have uh, a, a mobile smartphone, Android. Uh, iPhone kind of thing. Uh, there's an app out there that I've been really kind of digging called Soundtracking, and it's just a quick way for you to share uh, snippets of songs that you're listening to, and you know, post them to your your various uh, social media accounts, and you can link. Uh, and when you click on the link, you know, um, of the song you posted, you can hear the sample and then buy it in iTunes if you want. And it's just it's just cool, man. Like I mean, I'm always listening to the music. I'm really into certain artists, and I love to be able to share that and. I've had some nice kind of cool interactions with people online around these little soundtracking snippets I've been posting. So, so like social media, but focused on. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like Instagram. You take a photo, you can like post it, but then like share to your Twitter and your Facebook and mm-hmm. your Google plus and all that. It's like that, but you, you share a 30 second clip of a song that you're listening to. And I've only found, I've only not found two songs hmm. in that, in that database. I mean, it's pretty extensive. So it's just kind of a cool thing, you know, like they call it the sound, you know, share the soundtrack to your life. <laughs> and it's just, it's just fun. And I mean, I, I, I found it, uh, through Tim Ferriss who started using it. I, I follow him on Twitter and I started following his music. I was like, this is cool. Tim and I listened to the same music. <laughs> so I started following him on soundtracking and, and now, um, I'm having some fun conversations with people around some of the music I'm listening to and it's just cool, you know? So free Do- app does not surprise me that you and Tim Ferriss listen to the same music <laughs> at all. Not one bit. Anyway. Not one bit. Moving on. <clears throat> um, no, uh, that's great. So your pick of the week. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to make this as epic as it actually is. So, yeah, there's no way for me to talk about every aspect of uh, my pick of the week. So go to our website to check out the link. But um, it's this company called Fractured Atlas. Um we came upon it because our theater company um, is using uh, them as a fiscal sponsor. And what that means is that um, while while our theater company is rebuilding our, um, our sort of um, <clears throat> structure, um, corporate structure, we needed a way to be able to accept, um, you know, donations and grant money and that kind of thing. And you can't do that unless you have, you know, certain things in place like your 501c3 nonprofit status and and that kind of thing. So uh, Fractured Atlas kind of acts as the entity that can accept the grants and donations for you. And then they take, uh, I think, a 6% cut of those donations. So 
if you own a theater company or you you know you run a production company or you have some kind of artistic company they can support you in that sense there's also a whole bunch of other things that they that they do including uh, i discovered by going to their website um they have some uh form of um health care for public art and film production and um I think individual artists, which is the thing that I'm actually most interested that, in. That blows my. If they do that, that blows my mind. That that is that that exists. I mean, <clears throat> I, I would love to look more into that healthcare for individual artists through this sponsorship organization middleman thing. I mean, that just sounds too good to be true. Yeah, you can apply or you can get a quote right on their website. Well, they do like. Okay, here's what it is. I'm 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 diving deeper than I did before. They have um, liability insurance um, for productions and public art, and then the health insurance. Health insurance. You can actually, yeah, you can actually go in and get a quote right on their website. They must just have part. You know what it is? They probably have uh, partnerships with multiple private health insurance companies who maybe have a special deal for artists and therefore it's a win-win because the private health insurance companies uh, or they're getting basically free advertisement through fractured atlas fractured atlas is able to provide um you know multiple companies to the artists that are interested in getting health insurance there's just a whole bunch of stuff on their website i mean it's it's really extensive um which is why i was saying you know go in and, and kind of you know, see for yourself, if you will. Um, we'll have their um, site on our site, but um, but yeah, I I think that for even for an individual artist, even if you don't have a production company or even if you don't have a theater company, and say you're you know a, a, a musician, a composer, a dancer, um, you do some kind of you know crazy you know performance art or something like that, and you're looking for a uh, a fiscal sponsor um, to kind of support you in taking the next step as far as creating generating uh, you know financial abundance for what your art you know this might be a great place to to start you know uh, it might be it might actually be a, a wonderful alternative to the crowdfunding mm-hmm. thing it seems easy these days to put together a crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. it seems like it seems because if you were to if you were to apply to be a fractured atlas artist and you and you started going after grants, the reward is huge because grant money can be a lot of money, but it also is going to take a lot of work and mm-hmm. like like actual work like studying grants, finding the grant, writing the grant, like you know, and then you might not get it. Like it, it, it's work; it's a lot of work. You know, our, our our buddy Drew told me about a really cool Kickstarter campaign for his friend's film. And uh, I guess for every person who donated $5, they would make a personalized video of the filmmaker or the writer, somebody, a personalized video for that person who donated the money of that guy eating a muffin or something <laughs> like that. So like, you know, you donate five bucks and you get a video in the mail a week later that would be like, Hey, John Smith, you know, this muffin's for you. And it would be like a five minute video of this dude <laughs> eating a muffin. And that to me is really, really smart. That's you know? hilarious. Our friend Ben, um, he said, you know, if I hit a certain goal, like I'm going to jump out of a plane in a speedo and videotape the whole thing. Like that's creative. That's cool. Like that makes me want to give you money because you're, you're willing to do something fun and creative and share it with me. And, hmm. and that builds buzz. 
So I think that's really the issue here. I mean, I, I, I think Kickstarter is great and crowdfunding is great and Fractured Atlas sounds great, but you know, be willing to, to do the work. And sometimes that work is just being creative about it. Did we beat the crap out of that horse or what? Yes, we did. Uh, sweet. So before we go, um, uh, we wanted to quickly thank a listener who sent us some money. Steve, thank you very much for donating uh, your hard-earned dollars to the podcast. As you know, every penny we get from our listeners goes directly back into making a better podcast. And if you are the same Steve that called us, um, we're going to be calling you as soon as we're done recording here. So uh, thanks for the voicemail. Thanks for the support. And anybody else listening who would like to contribute to the podcast, it's easy peasy. All you have to do is go to our website and click on the donate button and uh, follow the instructions. It's super easy. And I think that's it for yeah. episode, uh, episode 82. So if you guys dig the podcast, lots of ways that you can help out. Uh, aside from donating, you can tell your friends. You can... Um, what else can they do, AJ? My brain just just ran a gas. <laughs> that was really funny to watch, actually. <laughs> You're like, you can tell your friends. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, guys. We have to restart Hang Trevor. On. Trevor's going to go to the subway. <laughs> They can go to our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. They can leave a comment there. They can also email us at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. (laughs) He is back. Uh, Sorry to cut you off. Find us on Facebook.com slash InsideActing. And we're also on Twitter, Twitter.com slash InsideActing. And we're on there as individuals as well. I'm twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. And I'm twitter.com slash digital actor. And you can also uh, find us on iTunes and actor rated. Subscribe in iTunes and rate us in both places. Five stars, please, unless uh, you want to let us know why you're not giving us five stars. Um, or come to your house. We'll find you. We will. Uh, <laughs> Like threatening people for no those ever leave a review again. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to leave a review. These guys are going to hurt me. Um, and uh, uh, you can also leave us a voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. Um, we really appreciate that and all the contributions and donations, as we said before. Um, and that's that it. Man? That's it, dude. All right. We survived this episode. Whew. Sort of. (laughs) I don't understand. Uh, For episode 82, I'm Trevor Algon. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, get creative. Get creative.